Welcome to Truth Pod, the podcast that proclaims the truth of God's Word without shame or apprehension, where the Bible is the last word on any subject. I'm Russell, your host. Hello, I'm so glad to have you join me today on Truth Pod. You know, Jesus said, if two or three are gathered together in His name, He would be there also. Well, I'm here, and so are you. We've done our part, and now we can be confident He's here with us. Back in November, I was privileged with the opportunity to return to Israel. I never thought that would ever happen again, nor do I ever expect it to happen again. But one thing always remains true. Never underestimate the plans of God. I didn't plan it. I mean, it happened to come up, and then we just started planning and putting it together, and it just, it actually worked out, and it's like, wow, you know? God is so good, and uh, he's amazing. I made recordings every day of the different places I visited and the things I saw. I hope to upload them to TruthPod, you know, someday if possible, depending on the sound quality. If the sound quality isn't there and it doesn't make, you know, good recording, then I'll just tell you about it and, you know, share with you that way. Um, Anyway, I'll, you know, anyway, you'll get to hear about my journey. Israel. The world is bigger than the little country that we live in. There are people out there that you would be blessed to get to know. Things that would thrill you to see. We need to get out of our own little world and give God a chance to broaden our horizon. He did it with Abraham, the children of Israel, the apostles, and early Christians. We can come up with so many reasons why we can't. Maybe we should think of the one good reason why we can. Now would be a good time to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your many blessings. Thank you for loving us, keeping us, being with us, keeping us through another year. Lord, a year that had ups and downs in it and uh, inflation. Lord, but you have been faithful. Thank you. Through it all, you still remain faithful, Father God, and we could still lean on you and put our trust in you. Thank you, Father, for everyone who um, listens to this podcast. I pray your blessings be upon them. I pray you would guide me into this study in Jesus' holy name. Amen. This is the 11th study in my series called The Best News Ever. Really, what can be better than the resurrection, and not just any resurrection, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is proof that he is who he says he is. Had he simply died on the cross, he would have been no different than any other criminal. But since God raised him from the dead, it was evident that he was the Christ. Acts 5.30 and 31 says this in the NIV, The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. Acts 2.31-32 in the ESV says this, He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, 
and of that we are all witnesses. All these appearances to his disciples is to make them witnesses of the resurrection, or as I'm calling it, the best news ever. They had a first-hand account to his resurrection. You know, I mean, they were there. They got to see him, you know, as he as he or as he, as he appeared before them. They got to see him. They got to touch him. You know, they got to see him eat. So, this is a first-hand account, and they became witnesses of his resurrection. I'm turning my Bible to John, chapter 21, verses 15 through 19, in the in the English Standard Version, and it says this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, said, he said to him, follow me. Mary Magdalene has seen the risen Lord. I think it's safe that Mary, the mother of Jesus, saw him as well, and the other followers as well. But the 11 men who would impact the world the most had seen him alive and talked with him. He even ate with them. But there were some things that needed to be settled. For three and a half years, they had followed Jesus. He was the one they looked to. He was the leader of this small group. But Jesus is about to leave this group and return to his heavenly father. Who would take up, who, or rather, who would take his place of leadership of this small band of believers? Jesus is about to answer that question. Maybe not the way we would have liked it. You know, Joe is going to be in charge, or Tracy is in charge after I leave. He settled the question by a personal examination of the candidate, the one who had made this statement some time ago. Matthew 16, 16, in the English Standard, says this, Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Another thing that needed to be settled was Peter's denial of Christ. Although the event itself is never mentioned, it seems to be dealt with in such a loving matter as to not cast shame on Peter, but I'll talk more about that later. My first point is this, three questions. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? These questions can cause us to search our own heart. 
I'll bet James and the others are glad. Wow, Jesus is asking Peter this question. I'm glad he's asking Peter and not us, you know. And I've thought about this. You know, does he stop? Does he ask me, Russell, do you love me more than these? Or, Bob, do you love me more than these? Or, John, do you love me more than these? You know, I think it's it's necessary for us to ponder these kind of questions in our hearts. Because it's more than just going to Peter here. It's more than just relevant to Peter. I believe it's relevant to us. Breakfast is over. Their physical needs have been taken care of. Now they are warming themselves around a cozy fire. This fire may bring back memories of the night that he was that he was in the um, camp of his enemies, or the enemies of Christ, warming himself. It was a painful thought, talking about Peter, because it was on that night he denied he ever knew Jesus. That night was just, you know, a few weeks ago. As of this writing, I mean, as of this time in, you know, in the history, rather, um, it was just, you know, a few weeks had just gone by, and I'm sure the the pain is still fresh there in his mind, and, and those thoughts, you know, are still reverberating in his head. It'd be easy for you and I to say it serves him right, but all, all of us have blown it big time, like Peter. Only our failures haven't been put in the most read book in the history of man. You know, I mean, Peter, here he is. He is, he's ready to go. He's gung-ho, you know, and, uh, you know, he, he slips up and makes the biggest blunder of his life. And it's printed in a book so that everyone knows about it. It's like it's all over TikTok, all over Twitter, all over Instagram, all over Facebook. It's just out there, you know, and everyone can see it, can digest it, can interpret it the way they want. It's all there for the world to see. As long as Peter continues to dwell on that night of failure, that night has left a scar on his heart that he can't seem to get past. Do you struggle with something that lingers in the shadows of your mind? Something that you've done? Maybe no one else knows, but it still follows you bringing you down. There are things taking place here that we all need to pay attention to. Sometimes we are the ones who have fallen and need love and compassion. Other times we are the one who can restore the fallen one to help them get back up and continue on for Jesus or toward Jesus. Simon, remember when Jesus was in Caesarea Philippi with his disciples? He asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? They gave him various answers. Then Jesus asked, but what do you say? You know, so they had asked, Jesus had asked him, asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And some said, well, you know, John the Baptist. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But Jesus wanted to know from his disciples, 
his small band of believers, but who do you say I am? Peter immediately speaks up. You are the Christ, the Son of God. After he said this, Jesus gave him a new name. You know, that's when he had first called him Peter. Matthew 16, 18 says this, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And now for the three questions, or rather the same question asked three times. If you read these questions in the Greek, they go from intense, passionate love to friendship kind of love. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter had boasted of his love for Jesus, Matthew 26, 33, 35. More than these, more than the fishing business, more than the boats, more than his own family, more than the other disciples. Simon, son of John, do you really love me more than these? See, he had, he had boasted, you know, that though everyone else leaves, leaves him, he said, I won't ever leave you. This seems like a switch to me. Usually, it's us asking God, do you love me? You know, if things start getting a little rough in our life, does God still love me? I failed him. Does he still love me? You know, usually we're the ones asking that question. Do you ever think maybe he might be asking us that question? Do you love me? I know he's God. He knows all the answers to every question. But just go along with me here. What if he asked us this question? It was no longer on a page, but he was asking us outright. It seems only right that Peter asked these, that Peter was asked these questions three times. After all, on that fateful night when he had betrayed Jesus, he was asked three questions that would tie him to Jesus. Are you one of his disciples? It was a simple question. An easy one to answer. It should have flowed out of him easily. It, it you know, it, it should have just came forth as easy as, you know, anything else, admitting you, you love your wife. It should have flowed that easy, but it didn't. It didn't come. It didn't come out of him the way he thought he, it would. After these questions are answered, this issue of betrayal would forever be put to rest. No longer would he have to dwell on that night of failure. You know, Peter was asked, are you one of his disciples? And in each event, he said no in one way or another. Here, Jesus is asking him three times, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me? Or are you embarrassed by me? Do you love me? Or are you afraid to mention my name? Do you love me and yet not trust me? Do you love me and want to walk with me? Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? The questions aren't asked to embarrass Peter or shame him in front of the other disciples, but rather to restore his heart. 
and settle those things that are holding him back. My next point, three answers. Do you think after Jesus asked Peter, do you love me, that there may have been a pause? Remember, he quickly spoke up last time. I know I hesitate telling him I love him because I doubt my own words sometimes. I blow it a lot. I think I, you know, I think or I am told that if I loved him, I wouldn't mess up so much. You know that feeling. You know what that's like. You know, I mean, you may not say it like you used to. Like when you were first, when you first became a believer, you told Jesus constantly, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. But as time went on and you failed and, and you've broken his heart and, and you've messed up, those words don't come as easy because you doubt your own words. Peter says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Have you ever been asked a question that really made you think? It caused you to look deeply inside for the answer. You can't answer quickly because this question demands contemplation. It demands some thought, some, you know, thinking it over, some mulling it over, uh, chewing on it a bit, you know, uh, you know, as the old saying would be, uh, you know, you just, you just can't quickly blurt it out, but it's something you have to give some thought to, not because the love isn't there, but because this time it's not going to be something that's rushed into, not going to be something that he does without a thought, carelessly saying, you know, speaking up and in his pride speaking out and boastfully uh, proclaiming it. But rather now it's going to come from the heart. It's going to be sincere. It's going to be real. When Peter was questioned that faithful night, he was under great pressure. He was filled with fear. He was impulsive in his answers. Anything to get him out of that situation. You know, he was caught off guard. Um, he hadn't really listened to what Jesus said, you know. And so his question, him being questioned and being under pressure because what had happened to Jesus, the arrest in the garden, everybody fleeing, and now Jesus in, is in on trial and, you know, so much going on. I watch a lot of uh, true true crime. I'll spit it out in a minute. I watch a lot of true crime documentaries in which the perpetrator is asked a series of questions, all for the purpose of connecting the perpetrator to the victim. You know, uh, if you get a chance to watch it, you see what they're really. You know, they really put the screws to them. They really um, talk to them harsh and hard and stern and uh, forcefully because it's necessary sometimes to do that with people just to get the truth out. People like to bury it, try to hide it, you know, so that no one else knows about it, so they won't be convicted of what they've done wrong. People will often say anything to save their own skin, knowing that the wrong answer could land them in jail. Peter would not end up in jail, but his answer would reveal his heart. How would you answer this question? And would there be anything to back up your answer. See, it's easy to say, I love Jesus. You know, it's easy. I love Jesus. You know, I think he's great. You know, and all this stuff. 
it's one thing to say it. It's easy to say it. Words come easy to us, but the actual backing it up, is there any evidence to prove it? Is there anything in our lives that's, that is evident to prove that we love him? Is that there, or is it just a good speech? One of the main questions asked of these individuals who are brought down to the precinct to answer some questions is, is there anyone who can corroborate their testimony? Is there anyone that can back it up? Do you have anyone to witness what you've just said? Can anyone corroborate your answer? Think about that, can they? If you, as the old saying was, or the question was asked, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Peter answers, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Does he know this of you and I? I have heard people say how much they love Jesus. They were definite in their answer, but there was no evidence evidence to back up their answer. Jesus said, there is a proof test that shows if we love him. In John 14, in verse 15, in the, in the New King James Version, it says, if you love me, keep my commandments. It's easy for me to tell my wife I love her, but if there's no evidence, she'll never believe it. If I only talk to her when I have a need, she would doubt my love. If I only told her how wonderful she is, how precious she is, you know, if, if, if I only do this, then she, you know, if that's all and there's no evidence, my love would be in question. You know, if I told her how lovely she is, how wonderful, how beautiful, but I don't show it, you know, she would doubt me. When Jesus asked Peter the third time, he was grieved. Could Peter think that, that the Christ knew something about him that he himself did not know, which might lead to another fall? And was he about to tell him of it? You know, this could have been crossing Peter's mind. I mean, it certainly wouldn't mind. You know, you know all things, Lord. I'm convinced of it now. After what, it, what has happened, what's transpired, you know, since the garden, my denial, I am convinced of it, Lord. You know all things. You know all things. And he does. He still knows all things. Jesus did not doubt uh, Peter's love. He knew Peter loved him. As though they were brothers, however, Jesus wanted Peter to affirm his love again, to help Peter feel confident as a true disciple of Christ. My next point and final point is three assignments. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Peter was a fisherman. He knew everything a good fisherman knew about fish. He knew fishing could be both rewarding and disappointing. After this morning, he is no longer a fisherman. Now he would be a shepherd. Now he would have to learn to feed and care for sheep. This job is both rewarding and disappointing. 
you know, it's wonderful to see people come to Christ. It's a wonderful experience to help that individual come to Christ. You pray with them the sinner's prayer. You, you know, you, you've witnessed to them, you, and then you pray with them the sinner's prayer. And, and um, that's just the start of it. And you start to give them scripture and encourage them and pray for them constantly. And it's good to see them go to church and, and then, you know, you know, just grow as a believer. That is a rewarding experience. And, but sometimes it's also disappointing. You, you witness to an individual and, and they receive Christ, or at least they make a profession of Christ, but they go nowhere. Uh, you know, and they just, they stagnate. They stay right where they were. They don't go to church. They don't uh, get involved in fellowship and, uh, you know, or, or any type of ministry. And that can be disappointing. So this shepherd business is both rewarding and disappointing. Feeding sheep would require him to first hear from God and then share with the sheep. He would feed them by opening the scriptures to them. He tends the sheep by paying attention to their needs, helping them through their struggles, to be patient with them, always remembering they belong to Christ. It's a sad thing that uh, some shepherds, pastors have forgotten this, that the sheep belong to Christ. They're just doing their job, you know, and, and doing... Um, fulfilling a role as under-shepherd when they tend the sheep. Tending the sheep is the work part. Feeding them, you know, leading them to the master, that's the easier part than tending them because tending them means you got to be involved. you got to be through the mess with them. You know, you got to share their burdens, share their heartaches, share their pains, uh, love them when they fall, help them up when they fall, uh, encourage them when they get discouraged. And so this is a part of tending the sheep. Jesus holds a shepherd responsible for his sheep. It's not a job to be taken lightly. They belong to him, but they are temporarily in an under shepherd's care. Temporarily. You belong to Jesus, my friend, if you know the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you belong to him. You're part of his of his fold. You know, he's your shepherd. You belong to him. But it's also important that you get into church somewhere, that you get into church somewhere and get under an under-shepherd so that you can be fed, so that you can be tend to, you know, and taken care of by that under-shepherd. And... Um, they are responsible to watch over you. You need that. I'm telling you, you need that as a believer. In closing, let me say, Jesus had one more prophecy about Peter. You know, the last time Jesus told Peter what was about to happen, his denial, you know, he told him about that and that took place. Now he tells him what's going to happen later in life. This time, no denial. This time, he will glorify God. John 21, 18 and 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you 
where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. Talking to Peter. It's a good closing to um, this chapter in Peter's life because he's about to begin another great chapter uh, as you go into the book of Acts and you begin to read about the boldness of Peter and, you know, and how he, you know, starts leading the church, you know, as the one in, you know, called to be the leader. And of course, James and John and, you know, some others will be involved there in leadership as well. But Jesus closes this segment of talking with Peter. He tells him, you know, that when you were young, you, you went wherever you wanted, but one day you're going to be taken captive. Someone's going to lead you where you don't want to go. And uh, church history tells us that Peter was to be crucified and was going to be crucified. And crucified uh, was uh, the way the Romans generally got rid of their enemies. Um, when they were about to crucify him, Peter, it is said that Peter begged them not to crucify him the same way that they crucified Jesus because he was not worthy to be crucified the same way his Lord was so that he asked them, begged them to crucify him upside down. It says here that, um, that he said this to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. We don't know for sure. That's, again, just church history, uh, you know, but whatever he is, however he died, he did it in his death. He glorified God. No longer a failure. No longer a man who, you know, ruined his life because he stuck his foot in his mouth or spoke up one too many times or, you know, spoke out of turn, rather, one too many times. But now he glorifies God in his death. Restored. Restored. God wants to restore you. If you've gotten distant from him, if you feel like, I don't know where I'm at anymore. I don't even feel the presence of Christ. I don't even know if he's with me anymore. Let me tell you, he wants to be. He wants to restore you. He loves you. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't left you and abandoned you. He's with you. Next week, the final study in this series, The Best News Ever. Let me end this podcast by asking you this question. Do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? If not, you can. He loves you and wants you to be a part of his family. The first thing for you to do is admit you're a sinner and you cannot save yourself. Second, believe that he died for you and ask him to forgive your sins. Third, thank him for saving you and commit to living the rest of your life for him. If you have any questions or prayer requests, just email me at truthpod at yahoo.com.